Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fifth episode of The Lost Boy Academy. Today, I spoke with Kai, who is a friend of mine. He is a founder of Sakai Education Program, meaning World in Japanese. The program connects students to communities whose cultures are often underrepresented in the mainstream society. It was a great conversation, and I hope you guys enjoy. recording yeah thanks for uh coming on to the show um i thanks I for having me toby yeah dude of course um i mentioned about starting a podcast like a few months ago so and it's been yeah. a while since that so you know i'm pretty happy that you finally uh got to come on to the show um the lost boy yeah. academy yeah <laughs> um <laughs> yeah i don't know if you've seen my first episode but i yeah I yeah started. i remember Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just started this podcast、um, with the curiosity of how people are going about with their own lives. Because for me,、um, it's been two years since I came back to Tokyo and started working, and it's just been a pretty confusing time、um, mm-hmm. in terms of、uh, figuring out you know, what I want to do、um, with living and where I want to live and all these questions. And so for me, it's inspiring to talk to people、um, with. And also with close peers, and just yeah, ask about their life and、um, mm-hmm. what、uh, yeah, what they're going on about.、Um, well, we both met at a pretty、uh, like we both met like a year ago、mm-hmm. at a pretty random networking event. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>、um, yeah. And so we were the only well, no disrespect to anyone else there, but we were kind of the young ones there. Yeah, definitely,、um, definitely. But、uh, it, it is funny how like I mean, both of us at the time. Myself included, but like trying to you know figure things out since since being back in Japan. Yeah, and it's yeah. funny how in a year you can have moments where like things come together and you seem to be on a specific path, and then、mm-hmm. before you know it, you kind of like you're、mm-hmm. not derailed at all per se, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're, you're lost or you're wandering around.、Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I definitely, I definitely can relate to to that. So I see. Yeah,、good. it is a it is exciting time, you know, this kind of phase in your life, but. Yeah, but with especially with the、uh, the coronavirus too,、um, I know a few people that you know、um, it has definitely affected people's lives and made it difficult to make certain decisions,、um, including including myself. But yeah, so how how have you been kind of coping with、um, the whole situation in terms of just、uh, has it affected you mentally, physically, or just yeah anything in general? COVID.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I'll be honest. Like I,、mm. I think you know that was one of the questions that well, one of the topics I, I guess we knew we'd, we'd talk about at some point.、Mm. Um, and so I realized like I haven't really tried to process my own thoughts、mm. around it. You know, it's like one of those things where when I talk to my friends who are in the UK,、mm. um, we always say like, "How are you doing? How are you dealing with yeah, Corona?" Yeah. But I always have this hesitation. Like I feel like everyone's talking about Corona, therefore.、Yeah. Like I mention it, we talk about it, but we don't go too deep into it, right? Right. Because I don't want to overwhelm people with the topic of Corona. But at the same time, I realize I haven't actually had too much of a deep dive into how I also have been、yeah. personally dealing with it.、Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that it, it's 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 a strange one, right? Because it happened in phases. Like I remember when the Corona 
first came out, I tried to like actively manage it, you know, mm. but I also thought it'd be like a three, four month time frame. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make the most out of this period. And I, and I, and in some ways I did, I think I like picked up some good habits and I was like quite disciplined about my lifestyle. Nice. Nice. Like and what, then, what, what I mean, sort of habits? Well, I, there was a point where I probably went a bit overboard, but in, I would do yoga in the morning. Nice probably a standard one but yeah, yeah. but i would do it in, i would do it in the morning and the evening okay. um, it almost became a bit obsessive i've always like done a bit of yoga here and there but for the right. first time i would do like a yoga session in the morning and then a yoga session in the evening right and and uh How and actually in the morning sessions yeah in the morning sessions i would actually follow a 30-day yoga uh, thing that's it's, it's shout out to yoga with adrian um oh oh wait i've heard of that i've heard of that yeah i i think i've always been the most skeptical types when it comes to using youtube mm. for guided meditations or guided yoga but it actually worked for me so i'm not wait, is that, is that the is that like the dude with like a man bun and he does no oh. it's a it's a it's a it's a lady who oh, okay, is a super mind. pretty chill lady um I don't know if her target audience is like men in their mm. late twenties, but I'm I definitely see, a fan. So anyway, I've been I've been doing that, uh, and, and then I would do that in the morning. But evening, I would do kind of my own yoga session or whatever. Maybe follow up with a short meditation after the yoga. Um, mm. But it was also I was just more experimenting with different things. I was like, <laughs> I was stuck in the house working at home all day, and mm. I thought it'd be bad to be working from just being fixated in, in a desk. So I would try and experiment with like standing desks even nice. like sitting on the floor while working um to 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 encourage myself to move more nice. i would be running every other day um and, and all this stuff like turn off my phone at 10 p.m and don't wait don't turn mm -hmm. it on until 10 a.m but I will, I will i will say that that was what i did pretty intensive for the first two three months and somewhere around april may i think my motivation or maybe the realization that this would go on for a long while. And so right. I think I've take, kept about half of those habits. Nice. Um, but I still, I still, you know, it's still a positive compared to where I was probably pre-corona in terms of my daily habits. So. Okay. So um, it, it has kind of yeah. um, allowed you yeah. to take on to certain habits that you wouldn't mm -hmm. necessarily, necessarily have otherwise or mm -hmm. maybe later. Yeah. Else. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one because I, in that sense, I was definitely trying to actively manage it. I guess that your question was, how am I coping with it, right? So, mm -hmm. like, I think I was trying to cope with it by, in the beginning, by actively managing it. And then I think now in the past month or two, um, I mean, my brother's come back from the universe, from university and we're in Japan now all together as a, as a family in the house. So, it's kind of like he's nice. brought back the uni summer vibes right. <laughs> to my to my life which is which is nice but it's uh it's probably um made things slightly a bit more undisciplined but it's uh there's a no i'm, I'm, I'm obviously yeah, yeah. happy he's here from the uk um, he came back from the uk yeah he he's studying in st andrews but he just finished his like uh, exchange program in america in ucsb so he's oh, brought back those okay. <laughs> California vibes, the long hair and the chill vibes. Nice. So I'd, I'd just say in the last month or two, I've like probably like taking it a bit more easy and it's a bit more like letting this period just kind of happen. I mean, I think time saying that just letting the time pass is maybe a, a bit of a pessimistic way to go about looking yeah. at it, but I don't think I'm actively managing the situation as much as I was in the early days. Mm. I'm kind mm. of also just letting time pass and that is good in some ways bad in some ways you know mm. um i don't know about you like how 
Um, have you been? I mean, you started this podcast, which is a huge. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I was just kind of bored. I mean, I, well, ever since I started working, uh, I was kind of bored with work, so mm-hmm. I wanted to do some sort of project outside. Um, and yeah, well, it kind of coincided with the Corona situation, so it worked mm-hmm. out well. And I think, as much as I was. Well, I still am kind of figuring out and confused about life, but also this Corona, because of the situation, um, this podcast allowed me to reach out to people um, or friends um, all around the world. And also um, friends in Tokyo that I don't get to normally see um, Mm -hmm. and just give us update, you know, on our our lives. And yeah, it's it's a really nice way to connect with people uh, virtually. Mm -hmm. And yeah well agreed yeah we haven't spoken in like in like well i mean we haven't seen each other in like a <laughs> well, year we, or so yeah yeah well yeah. we met at that networking event and then you had tickets to like a yomri giants yeah, game right yeah yeah so yeah. you went to go watch baseball with yeah. with uh two of your friends your crew that yeah, was super yeah. cool and then yeah. i think the corona happened and then yeah. um but yeah it's it's cool that we kept in touch you know yeah. i think we're both in, interested in that your friends are into like yeah. kind of outdoor yeah. outdoor life hiking mm-hmm, chilling mm-hmm. and so it's yeah. yeah one of those things as soon as we're able to mm-hmm. go out a bit more mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. we should go have yeah, you been definitely. hiking have you been going on hikes i the last time i went on a hike was i think at end of march when okay. uh this whole like you know virus thing was kind of coming mm-hmm. to japan and whatnot but yeah nowadays yeah. i just don't want to take public transport and you know i'm sure not well there's like it's always like 50 percent chance and you know a lot of my friends take public transport and go to places mm-hmm. and they're fine and i think i'll be fine but for me i um have to take care of my grandparents and i see my parents so there's always a risk and you know i don't want to be that guy that just kills my entire family member you know (laughs) yeah i think in the uk i don't know too much about it but there's some new like government slogan going around like don't kill your gran Mm. uh this is from something i've heard like gran being like your grandma so it's like i think the english like well not all (laughs) english young people but i think quite a good amount of english young people are maybe you know still partying and celebrating and because they feel like even if they get corona they're fine yeah but the idea is no one you don't you never want to hurt your gran you never want to hurt your grandma, right? Yeah. So it's there's yeah. this idea like, okay, yeah, you can take your own risks, but mm-hmm. look after your grandma, look after your family. So be responsible type thing. Yeah. Um, but I get that, man. I was also living close to my grandmother um, up, up until quite recently, and and I and I took a much more conservative approach as well, which is good. Yeah, I think um, just young people kind of think that you know we're just kind of immortal, invincible. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean that's fair. Um, because even if I probably get a corona, there's a good chance that um, I'll just survive and go back to normal life after a few weeks. Um, but yeah, I do feel some sort of responsibility, um, especially towards my family and mm-hmm. family members. So yeah, so I, I don't think Thank I've you. been, I haven't been really social uh, with friends uh, for the past few months, but mm-hmm. yeah. But, you know, because of that, I think I spend a lot of time uh, on my own and trying to um, seek for new habits, like exercising. Mm-hmm. I also try to do yoga. Well, 
I do more of stretching than yoga, I think. Uh, well, mm-hmm. Kind of similar, but um, yeah, meditation, uh, reading books, which isn't, uh, wasn't really my thing. Um, but yeah, just reading new books and watching movies. And, yeah, just getting inspiration yeah. for, from different yeah. uh, sources. Yeah. Yeah, but you, yeah, are you, true. are you like, are you seeing friends and like being social? And- uh, not, I mean, being social. I think I've got one very close friend who um, I'm just kind of trying to like, you know, I've got my old high school friends who I love and adore, but they tend to meet up in a, in a big group yeah. <laughs> if they do meet up yeah. or, or we're just quite of a big group to begin with. So it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to just meet in smaller groups. So I haven't seen them um to be honest for a little Mm. while um but i have like a very good friend from my masters in the uk Mm. who's also now living in japan and so i would just like drive down to his place and you know so i'm avoiding public transport and then just hang out more or less one-on-one so it's kind of picking your picking your friends or picking your risks you know and uh so that he's kind of my i guess (laughs) we hang out with each other our go-to if we need some sort of like right right, french friend like friendship interaction but i just right now i feel i'm i'm okay because i've got like like i got my brother here and we just hang out and so Mm -hmm. that feels like social time but um yeah it definitely doesn't feel enough and uh i mean i know we'll talk about other things besides corona in a bit but i think um it's interesting one because i was like why is it so tough right like this period is tough and obviously it's tough for Mm. different people in different ways but I think at least for me it's 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 I'm very privileged that I'm not in this probably bracket where it's you know um mm-hmm. like you know financially or uh been burdened by it but it's more like just yeah just kind of well-being stuff mm-hmm. and also just a sense of like loneliness right mm-hmm. um I was again my brother but we were watching a video recently um talking about some 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 YouTubers experience of covid and how he's talking about I'm lonely and he did, we don't talk about loneliness mm. <laughs> in general in society, but also loneliness during this period. In Japan, I was especially. Also, in Japan, <laughs> especially, yeah. And I was also reading this other book about kind of mental health, to be honest. And then it was talking about uh, how disconnections in our lives can make us feel, can, can, can challenge us, challenge our mental well-being. And it talked about how there were many different things, disconnection from meaningful values, meaningful work, right? That's probably something that you're looking for and I've been looking for and I still mm. am looking for in some ways or to, to, to always build on that. But also mm. disconnection from people and that loneliness is like mm. a huge stress. Like mm. I thought of loneliness as something as it's, it's, it's an experience. It's, it's the lonely experience. It's sad. It's just something you have to kind of accept, which is true. But at the same time, I didn't realize how much of a physical stress mm. like loneliness can cause on the body because it was talking about some um, health stats about how people are more lonely, are more likely to get this, that disease. And so, yeah, I never used to correlate loneliness with stress, but I think maybe there's a, maybe there's something there that when we feel very stressed um, and kind of off mm-hmm. point, yeah. being lonely or being in isolation for a long period of time can cause that too. So it's maybe something you actually have to, again, actively manage in some form because it's a stressor in your life it's not just an emotion you know? mm-hmm. um but yeah, yeah i think, I think humans, uh, we, we we need people <laughs> yeah I, I think humans have always been a tribal species so we weren't mm-hmm. really built to live in a 
single studio apartment uh, yeah. in a big city like Tokyo, you know, which is the case for a lot of people, including myself. But uh, yeah, actually, I really want to watch Mononoke Hime now, like looking at your. Oh, background. yeah, you should. Guess what? I've been wanting to watch some. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I watched um, Kaze no Tari no Naoshika. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you call Sorry. it in English? The Valley. Uh, yeah, I've yeah. always watched them in Japanese. So. Yeah. yeah, and you know Miyazaki, he's uh, his, mm-hmm. there's always like moral and ethical messages on mm-hmm. this film, and the Kazuno Tanoshika had to do with uh, the virus, uh, virus. Over the forest, and uh, yeah. everyone's everyone's like wearing masks, and it was like post-apocalyptic world, and yeah, yeah, yeah. God, my friend recommended me to another movie. Wait. Maybe we'll move on to another topic, but I'll yeah, definitely yeah. be able to find the movie. Yeah, I kind of want to watch these animation movies yeah. about uh, that depict like yeah, kind of dystopian yeah. <laughs> futures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, cool. I'll I'll, I'll watch yeah. Mononoke Hime. And, uh, yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, yeah. Studio yeah. Ghibli or Ghibli is just yeah, you know, just gr- graphically like visually pleasing too. Yeah. yeah. Oh no. Yeah, um, but so as, yeah, far, as, yeah. as mm-hmm. far as as far as your like working situation uh, or your mm-hmm. current project goes, um, mm-hmm. has that been going smoothly? Or yeah, so yeah, like I run this education initiative called Sakai Education. It's mm. very early stage, but I think we've been very lucky to work with with schools and really cool mm. teachers inside those schools that have just been eager to like work with us type thing mm-hmm. um but yeah it's it's been affected by the corona i mean so w- what we do is we, we we kind of customize these programs for schools that connect what the students are learning about in class more directly to different communities so i mean for example like um you know when in whether it be in history class we work with something called like the ib curriculum mm-hmm. which is a curriculum taught in many international schools also your school right canadian yeah I, I took that right? program ib as well yeah i love it or hate it but yeah. basically you know in the curriculum there's so many opportunities to learn about different people right i mean when you're learning about society or history you're learning about like the stories of people and the way people interact with society etc cetera, etc cetera. so my thing has always been you know if, if you're learning about let's say well this is an example of what we do but if you're learning about um indigenous people whether it's in your society's class or whether you're learning about it in your philosophy class when you look at like indigenous belief systems, it's such a shame that you're only talking about it or learning about it or getting insight into that world through textbooks Mm. and through maybe some five minute YouTube video and basically your international school teacher who, who not necessarily, but most likely is not indigenous and, you know, in a, in a student body in Japan, at least, very few or no, very like, very little indigenous uh, youth. So um, my thing has always been, well, why don't we connect? Like, why don't we bring in indigenous yeah. people uh, who can act as like our partners and create a program where we can, you know, where the students can actually engage and interact through discussion and through inquiry uh, directly with people from different indigenous communities. So we've been doing that so far, mainly working with the Ainu people, the Ainu. Mm in uh, Japan, obviously the indigenous people of Northern Japan. And when we're looking at, for example, colonization in history class, like uh, the Meiji Restoration, we'll look at, okay, well, we all study about Meiji Restoration, but let's, um, 
let's look at the how about let's look at the colonization the major mm. colonization of Hokkaido that happened at that time and what effect did that have on the Ainu people at that time and how has that effect lasted till today mm. and how do Ainu people feel about different things today what are what is their sense of identity what kind of social justice issues are still prevalent and we get the students to kind of uh, engage in a sort of like a project format to really mm. get more get like first-hand director insight into those different subject matters you know yeah so, sorry that's a, you know a bit a bit of an example yeah. case study but we've been doing all that and 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 so a lot of our programs are can be quite like direct mm. as in we we go to do like guest speaker sessions live talks in schools i think that's still going to be possible in the coming year but naturally a lot of things will become online you know mm. webinars um yeah we're gonna have to probably customize our programs a little bit but i see yeah it's mm. yeah i mean it's zoom seems like uh great option for that zoom's great yeah zoom's great i mean nothing beats like being in you know totally like same as friendships right but but i think yeah like make use of the technology that's available and yeah we were also planning like okay so like in in, in within the curriculum so within their let's say their history class or social studies class they'll do like a three-week project looking at the Ainu community in japan and you know spending many classes to engage with our partners who are from the Ainu community but then we were planning to also do like school trips out to Hokkaido and, and not make it this very like just, okay, you can go ski and yeah, you can go visit like some like chocolate museum up north. Yeah. But it's also nice. Well, it's not really important to engage with different local communities there. And mm-hmm. so obviously, you know, we were going to plan this and we are going to. Um, that mm-hmm. was planned initially for this September. Um, but now that's been having to be postponed. So to do these customized school trips as well. So we've been affected in that way. like some of our big services are going to have to be postponed but at the same time i think all of us in society and also like schools are having to like reevaluate the education system Mm. rethink be creative maybe look for outside help uh or outside collaborations to deliver their work at a high level Mm. um world is changing all that stuff is actually i think in the long run will be like a blessing in disguise Mm. Mm -hmm. so yeah I, I don't know for for anyone listening. I don't know if this is clear enough as to what we yeah. do, but um, no, totally. I think um, you know, um, yeah, we'll 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 be well. We're in discussions right now with schools to be mm-hmm. you know delivering programs literally from next right. month onwards. So yeah, right. So your um the Sakai Education um the program mm-hmm. serves as a some kind of a like intermediary between um. I guess I guess international students are the your primary students or yeah <laughs> intermediary is a great word yeah. I think that's yeah I, that's kind of how I see my role personally because like uh, I guess I'm the one uh, sort of running the initiative and kind of connecting the schools to to the, our community partners from different communities not just within the Ainu community right. but um yeah we act like as an intermediary um but we don't just like connect and like you know organize the schedule we really like actively work with the teachers to understand what their curriculum needs are obviously i was a former international school and ib student so i try and understand their curriculum to my best of my ability as an educator and their needs and and how they would want to deliver this class because every school is different every teacher is different and then i sort of work with our community partners say someone from the island community to be like and um you know try and work with the right person who would be able to speak best Mm -hmm. on this specific subject matter 
uh, or in an interesting way and we and then sort of kind of co-create because again like the even the ideation that i work with our partners well this is what the schools want but how do you think we can do it in an engaging way like yeah. i don't want to impose myself as to how we should introduce students yeah, to yeah i know culture or i know history so we're very much like actively work with our partners to do that um so yeah that's i that's, see that's that and yeah international schools because that is just our target audience to begin with. Yeah. It's a it's a world I know. I think international school students are it's easy to like think you have a global worldview by like default of going to an international school. Maybe the kids are different now, but at least when we were in international school like five, ten years ago, I think I just saw like Japanese school kids down the road and I saw our school which had all these different nationalities and it just seemed like we were very international, not yeah. in terms of nationality, but in terms of our mindset and worldview. Mm -hmm. But obviously we grew up in a bubble and there's so much, like just take Japan, like there's so much diversity within Japan that international school kids and Japanese school kids just don't know about. Yeah. I never heard about the Ainu when I was in school. And if it is taught now in some schools, it's maybe it's mentioned, you know, indigenous communities are mentioned somewhere in the curriculum, but over like, 20 minutes of class time or something yeah, so yeah. i think um you've got to you've got to connect students mm. um to people from different walks of life different ways of life different stories different experiences mm. and and this can be done in japanese schools and with different curriculum but because we're generally a small team of mm. our, including myself and the partners we work with we're trying to really offer like a high value service to the select international schools we work with right and then over time hopefully we can expand mm. wide um but yeah that's just yeah my thinking there yeah. yeah like i um i read your website um and <laughs> what one uh sentence that stood out um is um how the international stu students um not all of them but i think they tend to have some sort of um issues or thoughts with their own identities like mixed identities living uh, born in one country but living in a different country um, and all these things and you know with the Ainu people um with the Meiji colonization um I think one one of the the damages or the result was um bringing complexities to their Ainu people's own identity um mm -hmm. so I think that's a really a good subject that um, both parties can kind of relate to and talk on expand yeah exactly so that's what we try and do to try and like create like mutual not necessarily mutual ground isn't the right word but just you know topics that of interest for everyone so even when we work with the curriculum actually when we worked with middle school audiences um there's so many different ways we can connect the curriculum to different communities but for example with yokohama international school we worked with their unit all on identity and culture so it wasn't about indigenous specific. It was just looking about the relationship between identity and culture. Mm -hmm. But as a sort of case study and as looking at things from a very specific lens, we brought in, we worked with our partners from the Ainu community as well. What was their experience of identity? How did it change over time? And then also international school students reflect on our own identity, reflect on our own cultures, reflect on our own history. So mm. yeah, there's, there's sort of common, common interest and common ground there. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think it's super interesting. And yeah with Mick, like both of us international mm -hmm. school graduates and like you're half as well right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. half i'm yeah. mixed right yeah. one of our parents are from japan or asia and the other one yeah um but 
it's like so I felt like I'd known in Japan every Hafu kid that exists yeah <laughs> no I, not literally but I just mean like I've heard every variation of a Hafu like we, sort all, of we like all look the same half, <laughs> yeah we all kind of look the same no do we I don't know. <laughs> let's hope not yeah. no we don't um but yeah like mm -hmm. so you know half Japanese half American half Korean half French even when I went to university I met some people from mixed backgrounds but like when I first began this Sekai education project mm -hmm. and I wanted to, like, so I'm obviously not Ainu and I had very little expertise and I still do about indigenous communities and the Ainu people. But when I, when I saw that it was an interesting connection from the education standpoint and that this was a missing link, obviously I tried to like meet and connect with Ainu people across Japan. Obviously not just in Hokkaido, but many mm -hmm. people live in Tokyo, live everywhere. So I went to, I met some Ainu people in Tokyo and I also went to like this Ainu, mm, like ex not exhibitions, like kind of a, like a small museum space that's in Tokyo, just to like learn the basics about, mm. like, about Ainu history because I knew nothing. I remember there, uh, there was a lady working there and it was probably a rude question, actually a kind of an ignorant question, but I remember asking her, sorry, like um, I'm doing this project, blah, blah, blah. By the way, uh, are you Ainu? you know yeah but i think the way i asked it was probably too abrupt i mean it's I like see. i don't know but yeah anyway she was just like yeah i'm half japanese i'm, I'm half japanese and i'm half Ainu. Hmm. and at that point like i'd never heard of that let's just say combination yeah and it also because i was very ignorant about the ainu culture and history and story in japan i was like wait how does that work because when you hear of like half of it's always two nationalities but Ainu is not necessarily a nationality and it's kind of inside Japan up north so but it's about identity right it's about like their the, the father uh, sorry I didn't know if it's from the father and mother side but going back in, in their ancestry their their ancestry would not have been Japanese or English or belonging to a certain country they were Ainu and mm. probably more specifically Ainu of a specific community or region in Hokkaido or somewhere else right. even in parts of Russia, et cetera. So that's was for me super interesting. Like even to think about half identity, mm -hmm. I thought I could speak about on the matter or kind of be able to tell someone who's not familiar or who has never met a Hafu or Eurasian Hafu to speak about the different demographics of Hafus in Japan. Mm -hmm. I never would have thought of that in Japan, you can have this mixed identity of Ainu mm -hmm. and Wajin, which is what Ainu people uh, have, uh, in some ways refer to, to Japanese people, right? So I don't know, that's pretty interesting to me. And, you know, we spoke about that with the students and the students reflect on that too. Students were asking questions like, do you feel more proud to be Ainu or more proud to be Japanese? Why right. do you feel ashamed about your identity at a certain point? What made you feel more proud over time? Right. Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so yeah. it's an interesting I one. Yeah, well, I'm just like um, thinking about my uh, classes in high school and it was the same program, but I didn't mm -hmm. learn anything about philosophy or um, obviously mm -hmm. indigenous community. Um, well, yeah. do you remember taking something called TOK? Yeah. Theory of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I, so theory of knowledge. I just, I just said philosophy, like, cause it's kind of like an epistemology philosophy type course yeah, yeah, for, yeah. you know, in case there's an audience who doesn't know the IB, but yeah, theory of knowledge. Right. So when we were studying it, this might be getting too academic, but yeah. um, for theory of knowledge, uh, yeah, when we were taking it, um, 
they have these categories of knowledge, right? Because theory of knowledge is all about like, what is knowledge and how do we know what we know? I think when we're in high school, we're like, this is all a bit, you know, right. Too blah, much. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I think it's one of those things that when we get to um, university or even older, we start to really appreciate these like questions and ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I think it's gone frozen a little bit. I hope you can still hear me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but with theory of knowledge, uh, indigenous knowledge wasn't part of the curriculum. Uh, when we were studying it, but it's been added five years ago, um, except that it was added kind of like an optional area for teachers and students to explore, and they just hadn't been because they haven't been connected to uh, Indigenous people. Mm, mm. I see. I see. Yeah. Hello? No, I... Can you hear me? Hello? I think there was some sort of internet issue there. Let me see if I can get back in. We're back. We're back. (laughs) (laughs) Technical difficulties. It's all good. Is your internet just shut down or something? I was just getting on a roll. No, I wasn't. Um, Yeah, the internet. Sorry, we've just had, I don't know if you've had the problem, but with with everyone at home, Mm. I feel, you know, with Corona, like our internet, we hadn't changed the boost or whatever in so many years. And so we've been getting new, uh, wi-fi and um they just uh there's so many different ones going around the house now they i think they kind of clash and sometimes crash i don't know i'm not a tech guy as you know as we were setting up this call but i think uh, yeah we're back now so okay all right you can do a master edit and we'll yeah. Be fine. <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah so we're just talking about the sakai education and yeah um yeah and yeah, no, you explained about the program. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess my curiosity is because um, well, you, you're in late 20s now. Or? Yeah, I, I look I look young, but <laughs> I'm tw- I turned 29. Okay, okay. A few yeah. months ago, right? Yeah, so nice. I'm an 09, 2009 graduate. Right, um, right. Which works in my favor when I work with schools, teachers, because I feel they're like, I don't know, they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, but... Um, it's sometimes helpful to approach them as if like I'm like an alumni of international right, right, right. Like a, I'm not like a, um, how do I say, I'm not coming at them mm. at like as, as a teacher or right. I'm like saying I'm kind of in between. I can understand the students and I can kind of work between yourselves and the students and our partners. And I guess it's right. sort of not intimidating to be, to be quite young. Yeah, uh, for, totally. for teachers in schools, it's like, okay someone's yeah. a young young kid we can work with type thing um yeah, yeah 20 29, 29 2009 graduate i see yeah. and so you lo- you launched this program um in 2020 so i guess this year yeah 2020 uh, it was like piloting it in different ways but basically mm. yeah like kind of branded it as sekai education and launched it this year right. i see could, yeah could, so. you, could you kind of like yeah i'm curious to know um how I mean your thought process or like the journey behind um, creating the Sikai education program um, with indigenous communities, um, mm-hmm. the area of identities. Are those things that something you always had interested in? Um, and we're trying some other different um, projects or something, but it all kind of uh, resulted in this one uh, project that you have going on right now. Yeah, I think it's, interesting how sometimes 
you have things kind of fall into place, mm. right? And things you've done in the past somehow seem disconnected, but they all, not all, but a lot of things come together. Um, not to say that everything's come together now, but I definitely mm. feel like when I do reflect on the kinds of work, not so much like the topic of psychiatry education, but more like the type of work I'm doing, like education, acting as an intermediary, um, working in between a world that I know of being like schools and international schools and a world that I don't know, but I'm curious about being uh, indigenous communities or other diverse communities that across Japan, whether it be, maybe not communities is the right word, but the experiences of refugees in Japan. Like I've always had an interest in, and having like one foot in a world that I am familiar with and I feel like I could add value or connect things to versus trying to sort of, you know, it's not, not always such a noble thing, but just kind of like expand my worldview and connect with people from different walks and ways of life. Like I've always got a lot of, felt a lot of meaning out of doing that. And that's why I've always been interested in traveling. And when traveling, try, you know, like when I graduated university, I did like a one year gap year thing which is also pretty standard but i kind of approached it as like a travel project and i went to different locations mm. um some places in asia and and then stayed in those areas and regions and communities and worked on different kind of social projects educational oriented pro projects oh, nice. so that's something i did after university just out of my interest like i wanted to make something out of my travels uh right. have it something that would lead to something and I mean, obviously, I can't go through my whole timeline, but that was in yeah, 2013, yeah. 14. And since then, I've had, since 2014 till last year, I've done different things. I worked in Vietnam, done a master's, even lived on a farm. But okay. I think, you know, those things included, but even that travel project, it's like, it's not too dissimilar from what I'm doing now what, in what? terms of, hmm. yeah. So, yeah, during when you're traveling in Vietnam uh, or in, in farms, um, what sort of projects, yeah yeah oh so no so like the vietnam was more like my first job after i finished oh, my okay. travel project the things i was interested in things i was doing naturally connected me to uh education startup in vietnam so i ended up working there uh what kind of education an, yeah they're they're called habataka uh they're like a japanese creative education company that have like they're, they're kind of a small team like startup but they had they have an office in tokyo and their southeast asia office was based in saigon ho chi minh in vietnam and uh, they have a, um, another office headquarters, like headquarters isn't too big of a word, sorry. But they have like a team and projects up in Akita as well. Really interesting. Okay. So really different, right? Like Akita yeah. where there's a lot of problem like aging society and everything there versus Tokyo versus Southeast Asia, which is up and coming or at least Saigon, the areas and kind of economic growth mm -hmm. and everything. Um, but yeah, no, so I worked for that creative education company. I was kind of, put in charge just to like try and start up new projects That's so many cool. failed <laughs> but i was yeah the the one of the co-founders who was like the lead of the saigon team just nice. put a lot of trust in me to try and build up these projects and they were different in nature you know but generally habataku what they were doing was doing all these kind of like education programs bring, bringing Japanese university students or business professionals to Vietnam and they would work on like an education oriented training program but that had an element of working with like local Vietnamese social entrepreneurs or collaborating with Vietnamese students so again I was kind of in that intermediary right, role right. working with like my Vietnamese colleagues who could speak Vietnamese fluently to try and like um, yeah work in between the Japanese right audience who are being trained who are going through the training program and our 
are Vietnamese social entrepreneurs who are like collaborating on the program. And I guess I have always enjoyed that intermediate role. And it's not too different from psychiatry education, like mm. working with schools, understanding what they want, designing not a training program, but like a classroom-based program on an outdoor trip program that has this collaborative or more direct element to it mm. um, and a more of an experimental, experiential element to it. Right. So that, that connected in Vietnam, but also in my travel projects, I think, you know, when we do our, our initiatives with Sekai Education, we also like film video interviews of our partners before we do guest speaker sessions, because I think sometimes you have a guest speaker at school and that's cool, but it's like, okay, we have this guest speaker, big mm. round of applause. And, you know, this person has to give their whole life story and you can connect with that person, but it's also kind of just like fleeting. Uh, yeah. So what we try and do is create video interviews of our partners talking about their life stories or about a specific topic, whether it be identity or something else. And the students would watch those videos and then have time to think of questions, reflect on it. And then that person who was being interviewed would actually, you know, directly connect with the students, whether it's mm -hmm. on Zoom or whether it's in person. So there is that element of familiar familiarity and interest already have been built up. Um, but yeah, sorry, going back to like travels, when I was doing mm -hmm. my travel project, I would, I would do a lot of, kind of like mini kind of documentation projects, interviewing. I went to Hirotacho, which is up north um, in Nikuzen Takata, Iwateken, mm. where the tsunami happened, um, you know, March 11th. So I went there a few years after the tsunami happened and made like a small video project, um, huh. you know, kind of intruding myself there, but people there were so welcoming. So just those elements of like kind of me, um, I mean, again, this is going to sound like a bit extravagant, but just, you know, me making new relations with new people and mm -hmm. somehow finding a way to bring their ideas and their experiences mm -hmm. and life stories to a, a different audience um, are all themes like I think I've pursued in different ways at some points, especially since graduating university. Because at university, I had no idea what I was going to do, you know. I was studying right. a degree that I didn't enjoy and, and all that. I mean, I'm sure you can relate to that yeah, too. Yeah. But um, yeah, those are my thoughts there. I see. I mean, I want to normally I want to talk with you more about your story, but I don't know if I should be. Yeah, yeah well, but, I, mean, I, I, I can definitely um, yeah. relate to you in that sense that being intermediary... Uh, Mm -hmm. position um gives me um sense of satisfaction um it's because i'm people do rely on me in terms of language or the culture understanding and i do like mm -hmm. i guess to be relied on and also um i i guess when i was a, uh, working in a tour company as a tour guide or right yeah. now i work as interpreter too but uh i guess the guests or the client that i've been working with um they, they, they do really appreciate my uh, presence um, and that mm -hmm. person. That is to, to know that you know, I, I'm being able to um, uh, help out uh, this other person um, to mm -hmm. kind of ease into the culture that I'm familiar with is yeah, it's definitely satisfying. And I, after, um, well, after uh, September, after well, I'll be jobless and I'll, I might, you know, search for a next job or a project, but it's definitely mm -hmm. something going to be something um, along the line of where I can uh, work as an intermediary position. Um, and I never really thought of your approach um, in education. Um, and, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think education is nice. It's kind of like a soft 
way to do things. It has like a qualitative element to it, which I like. I, I like have huge respect for people who are, I don't know, pushing numbers and pushing results and pushing very, you know, hard observational improvements and benefits in, in, in whether it be products or services. But um, yeah, I think like a soft qualitative approach. Mm. Uh, not to say it's like a cop out, but it's kind of like it has this very unique element to it, which is hard to measure, but you know it has value. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find ways to measure it, but uh, I like working in that kind of conceptual way. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I know I, I tend to go on huge tangents, but therefore, when I think of Sikai education, yes, it has all these elements of like all the interests that I've done, had. And again, like the travel, you know, my travel project and whatever it was, it's an example of like, I wasn't getting paid to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever it was, whether it was some psychological need or something else, there was a reason why I wanted to like work on those projects out of my own free time. Like same way that you're doing this podcast mm-hmm. without making millions from it, right? Yeah. There's something about this interaction that like you get a kick out of or meaning from and same for yeah. me. Like, I mean, I would enjoy this format, but also these travel projects. So I think those are like huge hints as to like money is important, but if you're willing to do something for free or out of your own project or interest, there's something there that fulfills you. So maybe mm-hmm. then try and find a way to attach uh like you know yeah also like financial value uh which which i'm still struggling with but that's that's maybe one approach um so Mm -hmm. when i think of psychology education as well it was a combination of just my natural interest and Mm -hmm. also like yeah you asked about like did i know about indigenous communities or Mm -hmm. you know was there i I didn't at all like again not to just blame the education system but in saint mary or international school when saint mary's yeah yeah but other international schools too i never heard about it um there was there probably you know i traveled a lot there would have been it was a lot of opportunities for me myself to actively try and learn about Mm. um the experiences of indigenous people all around the world but for one reason or another i didn't and actually it was i didn't do it in depth at least um so when i did my masters we actually it was on something called environment politics and development but we would look a lot Mm. about look a lot into like resource related conflicts or how like indigenous people are being removed from their lands because Mm. of massive you know deforestation or other projects and i would be writing these essays about indigenous people and the displacement of indigenous people and and i remember like speaking to a fellow student from myanmar who i actually don't know if she was has indigenous like roots Mm -hmm. herself but um you know in her in her home country and hometown there'd be a huge diversity of indigenous groups but um i remember talking to her like i'm writing all these essays about indigenous people but i don't really like get this indigenous stuff i actually Uh use the word indigenous stuff which is uh horrible but um i mean but you know so you know like so yeah but she was like um she just shared me with her experience about her like indigenous communities in her uh, country from myanmar she's from myanmar yeah so i mean that was like kind of a bit of like a, a alarm bell or like wow like i know nothing about hmm. the experience of indigenous people all across the world but i think with sec- starting sick education it wasn't about you know shedding light on indigenous communities necessarily like I, i'd be super grateful if if our projects are able to do that but it's more on i think the education curriculum side of hmm. being like we're not maximize not even maximizing like it's just the, the, the curriculum is so disconnected from the experience of people all around the world 
And so why, when the curriculum offers opportunity for us to hear directly from different communities, different people, different, um, mm -hmm. yeah, about the subject matter, not just to bring in a guest speaker, but actually mm -hmm. like engage with the subject matter that's mentioned in the curriculum mm -hmm. through an interactive way, like why don't we do that? And of course, there are budget limitations, et cetera, but it's also just a very old school mainstream education system, which you can mm -hmm. uh, reform and create new standards for. And I think um, when I was looking at the curriculum and like specific subjects like TOK mm -hmm. and um, other subjects in middle schools, um, indigenous, mm -hmm. learning about indigenous people was, was one connection that could be made that mm -hmm. hasn't, hasn't, isn't currently being made. And of course I can't speak on those matters. Um, but if we, if I work with, if we work mm -hmm. with uh, for example, mm -hmm. an Ainu person or someone from a different community, we can bring insight there. And so now I'm, I'm hoping to, for this new academic year, hoping to connect with not just individuals, but organizations that are working on matters of also like gender equality, racial equality, um, refugees, foreign workers in Japan, kind of bringing a Japan focused element to it. Because right. I think, again, we're, we have a tendency to look, especially in international schools, or maybe all around the world, like look, about, look at what's happening internationally. Right. instead of looking at what's happening domestically and, and the mm -hmm. diversity that exists in a nation or a city or a town so i think that's a huge missing link um, wow yeah that's yeah those it was all, it was just kind of also good fortune of many different things and yeah. and i was interested in it and i met the right people and and things kind of unfolded slowly and, mm -hmm. and still are but i think um it's very early days and i'm also still figuring it out yeah. yeah yeah but it seems yeah. like um ever since you graduated college you kind of have developed a sense of idea as to what what kind of work not not like job but what kind of uh, projects uh, are meaningful to you um, and what you like and uh, what you enjoy doing which is i think mm -hmm. which is something that i think a lot of people are still trying to find out um yeah well like I think it'll come you know yeah because there was times where I felt like I did mm. already figure out what I liked and was doing whether it was that job in Vietnam or working mm. on a farm at some point I thought working on a farm and living in the farm and 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 doing these like education projects on, on about sustainability and sustainable living was my thing mm. you know and it, um, but there's that I definitely have and, and those maybe yeah maybe some parts connected but other parts didn't fundamentally connect to who you are mm -hmm. i'm much much more confident like very confident that, that psychiatry education connects with who i am but yeah it's um i think there are different points in your life where maybe you also change mm -hmm. as a person mm -hmm. and so what connected to you before didn't connect in the same way so you have to adapt with that so i don't know how things will be going forward but right, um right. Mm, right. i mean i've definitely had moments where for you like you know you say like lost and i've I don't know. It's I, I find it quite. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know you're thinking mm -hmm, about like mm -hmm. when even calling it lost for academy or like you know being very uh, open that maybe in this particular time in your life you feel a little bit lost or you know that there are a lot of people that are lost, right? Like, mm -hmm. what is your mm -hmm. like what is your conception or understanding of like you know what what is it? What's the experience of being lost? Like, what is you know. Um, what does that feel like or what what kind of phase is that that many of us are going through you know well because because the reason i asked that is because i always had this like stubbornness against like not liking the word 
being like saying like you're you're lost, lost. right now yeah. like i remember doing many different things and i could indirectly or directly feel that people thought i was lost mm. or that i was going through phases and i always had this stubborn reaction like i'm not lost like <laughs> mm. um i'm just um this is the process like i mm. maybe i'm wandering like not all those who wander are lost quote by right, uh, right, jr Tolkien. Right. but i think at the same time it's fair to say that there are moments and phases in the life when we are lost and like yeah i'm curious to know like how you feel like you're lost when you say you're lost how does that what do you mean by that you know right um yeah that's a good question well i guess i felt lost because um when i'm tra- trapped into like a nine-to-five routine mm-hmm. job the society in japan kind of expects you to get like a nine-to-five full-time job um and after a few years you're expected to kind of not expected but if you don't like it you can transition to different job and that's just how and then you retire when you're like age of 65 and (laughs) live off all with all the pension um yeah but there were aspects of um, and um aspects that i enjoyed in my previous job and current job but I guess I do spend majority of time on things I don't uh, find any meaning to. Uh, not, it, it doesn't really um, fulfill fulfill me, or I can't see any of the impact um, that I'm I'm creating from my job to the other people. Um, and I think that was that led to dis, uh, dissatisfaction. Um, I'm at lost in terms of yeah. Again, it's definitely um, I definitely believe it's a process um, and pretty much your whole life is processing you're always searching for something um, that fulfills you mm. but I, i'm at a stage where i am searching for I, I guess i wouldn't say a job but um how do you call it maybe some sort of action that i can take on that fulfills me as well as um um the people around myself um, if that mm-hmm. makes that makes any sense i the next yeah. next job or project i'm gonna do i definitely want to work for like a for good cause and to give Mm -hmm. instead of kind of like a corporate uh job yeah yeah it's an interest yeah i see i see makes sense so i'm trying to figure out the formula of what makes myself um, satisfied or happy i am figuring out that to make myself happy is it sounds pretty corny but do some kind of work um, that make that gives positive influence to others um, helping out others around you and that kind of result in your self-satisfaction yeah it's a hard one i mean i wish we need psychologists to help us understand (laughs) what gives us fulfillment and maybe we work in different ways for us for most of us who are not who don't know the psychology or Mm -hmm. or other things that might matter we just kind of have to like figure Mm -hmm. it out by trial Mm -hmm. and error type thing sometimes i think and it's an interesting one i think we put in some ways we probably put too much um how do I say, like too much responsibility or no, that's not the mm-hmm. right word, but too much weight on work, work having to be what fulfills in your life. Like yeah. obviously there's so much time outside of work and so many things you could be doing in connection with work or outside of work that truly fulfills you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like to like, you have to figure out the work aspect of your life to truly be fulfilled. But at the same time, we also like underestimate like how important work is to our fulfillment mm. because it's what we spend um most of our days working on we have 
a choice to work on anything well mm -hmm. not everybody but a lot of people do have choice to work on something out of the millions or hundreds or tens of jobs that are available so it is a very core part of who you are as well mm -hmm. and we all want to feel like we're contributing to society or are, i guess expressing ourselves in a certain way um but yeah mm -hmm. it's a it's a tricky one yeah um, like, it's interesting like you said um people want to express themselves um and there's mm -hmm. also people that want to express themselves but also contribute to society um mm -hmm. and i think there are yeah um there's both types of people like mm -hmm. people that feel satisfied just by expressing themselves um and showing off you know who they are um to yeah. society um, <laughs> yeah yeah um and i mean it's interesting because i always felt like i thought i was more on the end of like wanting to do social good because that's mm -hmm. what like when i was studying business i was like this is this doesn't well business is actually like super important and mm -hmm. can be like a huge mechanism and force for good <laughs> but at the same time just studying business in university felt so disconnected to anything meaningful mm. um so that when i pursued all my projects after university it felt like i was pursuing like yeah social impact and and all this stuff and so that's what drives me mm. is what i thought and i don't that is partly true i can't just say how much but i also realize it's also just it is selfish it's like my role within that you know mm -hmm. like if it makes me feel good that i'm involved in something that has a net positive effect hopefully on society or on a select number of people but i think maybe more fundamentally it's just about my role within that picture or process and do i feel valued within that process mm -hmm. and so or do i or actually yeah can i express myself like can i express mm -hmm. my ideas my my strengths my skill sets my character through that so i don't know like i i, I agree mm -hmm. with you and i'm not disagreeing but i guess yeah. it's just like at least for me it's like maybe there's a bit of both yeah, of like totally. wanting to do social good and expressing yourself and actually yeah. maybe what's driving me more on a day-to-day -day basis is mm -hmm. partly being able to express myself in ways that is meaningful to me that is mm -hmm. that is appreciated and registered exactly by other exactly and yeah. so we all crave that sort of like um recognition yeah for who, who we are mm -hmm. and maybe yeah <laughs> and totally we, I think, i'm trying to find that through my work as well exactly i think finding the balance um and it, the what makes the person's um feel you know satisfied um in terms of the balance between doing a good thing for the society and also fulfilling your uh fulfilling your self mm -hmm. and self-importance or um, mm -hmm. fulfilling your self-needs um but yeah that balance is really different from individuals um and you know some people don't really need to you know care about the social cause or at all to feel you know satisfied um and yeah so that's, that's okay and yeah and i guess yeah i'm looking for searching for that balance right now i see uh, mm -hmm. well yeah we can yeah. move to move to kamakura yeah, <laughs> i'm dude. planning to move to kamakura <laughs> yeah so that, maybe... that's, that's like really happening huh well that's the plan I, I haven't even started looking for places but right. uh i'm going to start like literally like next week this week um right. but yeah i'd like to maybe move to the kamakura area i mean it's one of those things actually when i i don't know about you and i think mm people are different but whenever i wanted to sort of change my current life situation or do something new it was always helpful for me to change my environment mm. like and, and i know that's something that um 
many people not privileged to do and I definitely have been uh, in terms of you know being able to stay in my family's home for a little bit of a while while I plan the next move type thing so uh, all all privileges there but I think yeah when I change my physical environment and even sometimes the social environment it's kind of makes it easy for me to get into a new gear and a new mindset and take on like a new endeavor yeah I find it hard to be stuck in my like habitat that I've been in for two three years and and let's say I've been living a certain way and all of a sudden really change the way I live and act and do and Mm -hmm. you know obviously we we don't ever have to fundamentally change everything we do but um changing environment is kind of a good like daily Mm -hmm. catalyst for like reminding myself of why I moved in the first place you know right whether it's moving to Vietnam or moving to a farm or doing a master's or coming back to Japan for whatever reason and then pursuing a project because I wanted to do something back in Japan etc like so um yeah people are different but I think sometimes maybe you don't even need to have the courage to set up this whole new project to find a new job to begin with sometimes just changing your physical environment Mm -hmm. where you live um totally can 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 act as like just give you new information and Mm -hmm. and find new opportunities there's actually a lot of i'm sure there's so many opportunities that you can always find and so many new things you can do where you're currently sat Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. at least for me i just find it easier to do Mm -hmm. when i change environment you know so we're obviously all stuck in our homes so i wouldn't be surprised where with all the reflection that we're all going through now, once we're able to move more freely or, mm-hmm. you know, actively, hopefully pursue the lifestyle and environment we want, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. many people will be yeah. changing homes and locations. Yeah. Um, my, I, uh, I think it's, in, yeah. No, no, no. My, <laughs> so come to Kamakura, please. Yeah. I, well, <laughs> I mean, like, my, my lease for my current apartment group. is, uh, gonna end at end of september um so i'll be a nomad after that nomad yeah (laughs) (laughs) well it's a hard one isn't it i think it's important to like keep your friends close and Mm -hmm. and um you know if you're always moving then you never get to build uh, maybe a strong sense of community or you Mm -hmm. miss out on opportunities that are there that only arise after you really commit yourself to a place so Mm -hmm. i i can't speak on that but i have a feeling that that's there so I think there is obviously, you know, yeah. pros and cons to moving a lot. But um, yeah, if you can uh, keep your, yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, if you can keep your close friends close somehow still. Right. But How many people do you have currently that's on board on moving to Kamakura with you? <laughs> on board? Like, yeah. I, like I'm orchestrating this huge yeah. <laughs> social, social movement. Um, are, are, like if, if, let's just say, I mean, w- w- are you willing to move there just by yourself as well? You're my first recruit. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I was, so I was always planning to move to Kamakura. Like oh, okay. I, uh, or to move that to that area. Like it was just an idea I had since maybe like late last year. Okay. And just as I was planning to actually make the move in the summer, and then Corona happened. So I'm kind of just like, well, uh, I see. But I so saw like, okay, well, maybe just stay put. But now, I, you know, because Corona seems to be lasting a long time or will last a long time, I'm like, well, 
if I want to do something, I shouldn't let Corona stop me. Like at, le mm -hmm, at least mm -hmm. in terms of like moving to a new location, etc. Yeah. Um, if it's safe. I mean, and so, I mean, like getting out of Tokyo is a good choice. Yeah, exactly. So actually, it all worked together. But yeah, totally. so now I'm just gonna yeah, I'm like. But I will say that. So I was thinking about this from late last year, but I have some good friends, like like-minded. You would like them as well, actually. Hmm. Uh, we should all go hide for Hank. Um, yeah. But um, um, a friend of mine who used to go to ASIJ, the American school, and okay. her boyfriend, they recently moved down to the Kamakura area. Mm. So we, I'd been talking about it, and they'd been probably talking about it too. Um, but I think somehow... Um, yeah, during this corona period, oh, I, I think they spent some of their time outside of Tokyo and they're like, man, we can't go back to Tokyo. What, are they, so what have, are they up to there? They're living in Hase, which is kind of yeah, uh, close to the, yeah, yeah, close to the shores. Um, I, they're just, yeah, living there, working. I think they commute to, they, they're partly able to work from home and sometimes commute to Tokyo. Um, yeah, wow. they, so they're just, they're just basing themselves there. It's not like they have to be there for work but they just uh, work remotely and, and, you know, from Kamakura area to center of Tokyo can be anywhere between exactly. 45 minutes to over an hour if you need to go to the office. So um, I think they're, they're, they're into the outdoors life as well. So hiking, the, the ocean, surfing. Yeah. So I think they've just based themselves there. So that was also a hint for me to be like, Oh, like, Oh no, like I've got, cause I was willing to move, but it's nice to have, people that i know from tokyo totally or a sense of community and even like an international community exactly. like as much as i don't want to you know contain myself yeah, in that yeah. bubble it is still nice to have yeah. friends that can you know with similar walks of life yeah. and speak english japanese i mean you um, are you're so super chill yeah you're balancing it out with the sekai education from yeah exactly <laughs> no i'm really grateful for that yeah. like, honestly like that's why work meetings get to like there's a really cool Ainu restaurant in Shinjuku called Harakoro. Oh, really? Yeah, which we have to go on there, actually. Dude, I would love um, to. Yeah. Actually, Val, like your, your, your friend who yeah. we met too. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we oh, ate there once. So, oh, yeah. We were going to organize, a, I think, a group dinner there, right? But anyway, um, yeah, yeah a really cool. Yeah, she's in New York. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's gone. Yeah. We couldn't keep her to stay to go to Kamakura together. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, uh, yeah, no, so, so there's a really cool Ainu restaurant in Shinjuku. And, like, mm -hmm. sometimes I'll have, like, my work meetings there, you know? Wow. So it's just, just, just to say, like, just to say, like, uh, you know, you talked about Sekai giving a balance, like, they, like working there, yeah, like, yeah. working through Sekai allows me to, like, go to a cool restaurant and, you know, get to know the owners there. And um, so it's, like, part, it's just something I would, you know, we would want to go to an Ainu restaurant for the experience of it regardless, right? right but yeah. if I can combine going to an Ainu restaurant with like a work meeting with the owner afterwards or, yeah. you know. Um, I'll, uh, I'll so drop that, off cool. my resume after this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll just email you my resume. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're in, buddy. <laughs> but yeah. I, I will, uh, yeah, I will see who I can connect you with um, from Canadian Academy. Um, oh, yeah yeah that i mean cool. i i would have appreciated um those sort of programs when i was there so yeah i think in every school that i've talked to there's always a group of teachers but especially a teacher or two that's really like just open-minded collaborative and wants to make it happen because you know yeah our customer if you want to call it is schools the schools pay for the programs um they're not yeah. hugely expensive programs i don't think but it's like basically we need the 
someone inside the school, like a coordinator, to like want to work with us and be an advocate for us mm-hmm. inside the school, you know, to get approval from management. So, you know, with all the schools we work with, mostly in Tokyo, Yokohama, but also in you know Tsukuba and Kariza, different Nagoya, different locations. Um, yeah, it's just about connecting to a teacher that's yeah, kind of yeah. can be our champion inside for our work inside the school. So yeah, okay. I, it kind of all unfolds naturally. But if there's any yeah, teacher yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that you think is just uh, open-minded to at least having an open discussion about it, like mm-hmm. that's always cool. And I, a lot of our programs have been more in the Tokyo Yokohama area, with a few that we've traveled to or done online events for. But um, increasingly, we're we're just building like a fully online program, so we can we can you know connect with schools in Kobe or or in or, mm-hmm. you know, northern Japan, regardless of the prefecture. Even I if see. we can't necessarily physically go there to to facilitate or do a live guest speaker session, right? There's yeah. still a lot that we can do online. So yeah, I wouldn't see yeah. why any teachers would be opposed to that program. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just it's it's it's. Uh, I've got a huge respect for teachers. Um, I'd like to say always. Uh, I have always, but probably more now than before. I mean, when I was a student, sometimes you don't appreciate the work yeah. teachers put yeah, yeah. Um, because we're just idiots, <laughs> teenagers who yeah, yeah. complaining about different things. But I think yeah, like working with schools now, I see how how hard teachers work. Like they're on crazy time schedules, oftentimes I think, mm-hmm. and they're really busy, and they've got so many. Um, uh parallel commitments that they have to like execute on <laughs> and so mm-hmm. working with us is, is a sort of a new initiative but yeah we believe it's 100 percent worth it mm-hmm. um and i think the teachers have all been positive but um yeah teachers are also overwhelmed as well you know right so i think there's actually we'll maybe save this for another time but there's a i think there's you never it's interesting to reflect on there's so many social movements going across society now the more we reflect on ourselves, as I think, you know, you and I are doing, I think we also reflect on our upbringing, our family life, our social life growing up and our school environment growing up. And, you know, like the schools we go to obviously have a huge effect on who we are. And just because I think both of us went to pretty expensive private schools, mm-hmm. we think that those schools are by default going to be the best ones or, have no room for improvement but that's actually you know far from the case Mm. and when we reflect our own mindsets our own biases our own ignorances um a lot of some yeah a good part of that can be traced back to like what what we learned about and didn't learn about in school you know Mm -hmm. both positive and negative so i think actually there's a lot of um initiatives and reforms that 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 should be happening at international schools and they're actually they might be cool guests on the show, but there are international school alumni from Seisen, SIJ, et cetera, that are in a more sort of activist sense, really trying to push oh. for reform inside curriculums or teaching about anti-racism, anti-blackness, or right. um, yeah, gender equality, different things inside schools that that should be much more ingrained in the curriculum mm. or having much more of a diverse teaching content, you know? in terms of what's being taught in history class or what are the type of books that are being introduced in your English class. And so there's, there's, a whole, there's a whole other discussion there. But I think it's interesting too, yeah. as alumni, to think about our own schools right. and neighbor right. schools that we grew up in and be like, oh, there are many things that were good about it, 
and yes, we were privileged to have gone to those international schools. Um, and as important as it is or to, to reform all types of education systems, if there's room for it, um, we have an insight into the international school world. And mm -hmm. I think it's important to like always like advance and if necessary, like really change the way mm -hmm. things are done inside schools. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, it'll be interesting for me maybe hope one day talk to these um, the alumni activists and just kind of question yeah. what sort of things that they think that needs to be improved, um, and that'll kind of help me also reflect on my um, my education back in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I guess yeah, we've spoken for quite a long time, and I know you have a. Is that lunch appointment yeah. after <laughs> well show. late lunch yeah i mean i'm always happy to keep going but we can maybe save it for uh if yeah. i'm ever <laughs> maybe this is episode five right this is so six i think oh episode six. Oh no okay. sorry it's five what am i saying yeah. episode five okay well yeah. um, there's so many cool interesting people to speak to but yeah. uh, whether it's through podcast or whether it's through <laughs> us meeting in person soon yeah. um let's have a version yeah. two yeah definitely discussion um, yeah yeah i'll just see how it goes with um the whole pandemic situation and then yeah i'm yeah. also yeah the come up moving to kamakura seems very very appealing yeah, yeah. close to the sea close to some mountains yeah, yeah. not too far from tokyo mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um obviously it's a bit of a trendy place but you can all i think you can mm -hmm. still find a little corner there exactly yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, uh, all right, brother. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the time. And I'm just gonna, yeah. hit the, I'm just gonna stop recording for now. Okay. All right.